0: On your this is Peak Too Early, presented by SAV Racing, featuring Mike Gendron, Trent Fontanella, and Steve Gendron.
1: Hey everyone, and welcome back to the greatest running podcast in the world, Peak Too Early, I am one of your hosts, Steve Gendron, and I am joined by Mike Gendron, who is somewhere off the coast of Connecticut. Mike, how you doing? Steve, I don't want to start the podcast out on a sour note, but is it treadmill season? It is cold. I wanted to it's I wanted to get into that. I don't think... It's cold today. I'm not, I'm not ready to jump on that treadmill yet, but we're getting close. I ran on a treadmill today. Oh, you... you it's sick. cold. It's windy and cold. <laughs> I, I, wish, I wish you could see Mike cuddled up on the floor with a blanket <laughs> around him recording this podcast right now so Cold. get a screenshot for Instagram. And as always, at the House of Sav, we got Trent Fontanella. Trent, how are you doing? I am good, Steve. I am not at the House of Sav. I am actually back in El Paso, Texas. Now, a few months ago, I took a big old bump on El Paso, and I don't know if you guys remember this, but... I called it the worst place to run in the entire world. There was all these dust storms, and I couldn't breathe. Well, I'm here to tell you that El Paso figured it out. Um, I went for a run today. There was no dust. It was super nice, so I think they must have listened to the podcast. They did something about the dust storms. They somehow got them to stop, uh, and it's really nice to run here. So I appreciate El Paso and listening and taking action. So the El Paso tourism board listened to Pete too early, and they're like, we got to fix this. we got we got to make this a, a better running terrain. It's definitely not just because it's a different time of year where maybe there's just less, like, you know, dust storms out in, in the desert. It's definitely because they listened to it and they took action and they got rid of the dust. <laughs> well, Mike, back to your point. It is cold out. and it's cold. Uh, You know, it, it, there was definitely a point today where it was like, did we jump into fall a little too quick? But, mm-hmm. you know what, I would give me this 20-degree weather over 90-degree re- weather to run in any day. I'll take it. Yeah, I'm I'm not, like, saying I'm upset or over it. I just – it's cold. And I ran on the treadmill today because I didn't want to run outside. And I love fall, and I'm scared and nervous that our time might be up here. Mike, that is the softest thing I have ever heard you Whatever. say in my entire life. It's the first cold week of the year, and you're already giving up on it? It's cold. There's it cold for, like, the first mile. Today. Oh, my God. There is – there is absolutely no such thing as treadmill season. Yes, there's like one or two days you're maybe going to get on the treadmill because it's like mad icy out, or you're, you know, at a truck stop hotel and there's really nowhere to run. But there is, there was no such thing as treadmill. Like, get some freaking clothes on, get out there, warm yourself up. Like Steve said, it's one mile of cold, and then it's great. That crisp air. I love a little snow coming down. That's like the most beautiful thing in the world when you're right. running. Okay, but hear me out on this. It's one thing when it's the dead of the winter and it's like you are in the mindset of it is cold weather running season. You got the tights pulled out of, you know, the uh, cabinets. You're ready to go. This was like yesterday it was literally like 65 degrees where I was. And then today it was 25 degrees and snowing. So that big of a shift, I mean – to me it warranted a treadmill. I don't feel bad. You guys can shake your head. You can do whatever you want over there. It warranted treadmill and that's what I did. And they stand by my decision. I'll probably run and get on the treadmill tomorrow. I don't care. your your priorities are all screwed up running yeah. on the treadmill. The, the, only, the, only, the only way you get to enjoying the cold weather running is if you start from the very beginning. If you try to go from the treadmill out to the, you know, fifteen degree weather, you are you're 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 screwing yourself right from the Freak, Steve. Anyways. That's enough. That's enough treadmill talk for our listeners. I'm sure they're uh, they're they're sick of listening to us. But we have uh, we have a, a pretty cool interview for you guys. It is our first Olympian on peak too early, which is pretty crazy. to Think about the you know, the the amount of people we've had on so far the you know, we've had some pretty high profile runners, but this is the first person that officially has their their Olympic rings. Um, I'm pretty bummed. I didn't get to talk to Marielle. Um, you guys did the interview with her. Um, anything anything any thoughts on the interview? Yeah, Marielle's super cool. We talked for half of the interview about music and her dream of being a DJ. So yeah, that was definitely the best part. I think it's important to note that this interview was recorded uh, the day before Halloween, I believe. So <laughs> That's right. when we're on there, we're saying, like, talk about Halloween, and she's talking about making costumes. She's not doing that in mid-November. She, she no. did do that at time no. appropriate. So just keep that in mind. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to listen to it. So let's get into it. Our first Olympian on the podcast, she just came back from World Championships in Doha, Marielle Hall. All right, so we got a great interview today. We are here with Marielle Hall, who is a former NCAA champion, a former Olympian for the United States of America. And just recently, the sixth fastest American ever in the 10,000 meters. Marielle, welcome to Peak Too Early. Yeah, cool.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, we're happy to have you on. So I guess I would like to. I was gonna start by talking about worlds, but uh, you just kind of shook up my uh, thought process here, and you just told us that you were uh, you, you were with your teammate uh, Shelby, and you guys were making some uh, Halloween costumes for this upcoming weekend. You want to let the listeners into uh, what the Halloween costumes are this year?
2: Yeah, I'll only say it because I don't want to ruin their surprise, but I'm guessing (laughs) no one will hear this before Halloween, so I'll That's right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Shelby, Carissa, and then two other guys are going to be going as um, Mario, Mario Kart. Okay. There's Peach, Mario, Luigi, and then Shelby is going to be Mario Chrome. Thing. Um and then I'm possibly just gonna be a gamer, just the holding the remote control and just put some <laughs> Cheetos on my shirt.
1: <laughs> nice and just nice. Kind of
2: be the couch potato gamer who's in control <laughs> of the of the Mario Kart. So that's possible. Halloween's tomorrow, so I should know for sure, but <laughs> that's a possibility. Um but yeah, I'm not sure. I may have to come up with another Halloween costume in addition to that stressful time of year, you know, important first world problems. So. Is
1: isn't that the worst when you have multiple Halloween parties to go to and you feel like you can't repeat your costume? I mean, it's so stressful.
2: It's ridiculous because I really do feel like I spend all year thinking about what I'm going to be for Halloween. And then <laughs> the week of Halloween, I'm always like, oh, what What am I going to be? Where Where do I go? Um, so, yeah, I don't know why it's so stressful all the time, but it is.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, then you see other people with, like, their awesome costumes, like, super creative stuff, and you're like, oh, crap, my costume sucks, I gotta, I gotta call an audible, I gotta make a change here.
2: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I feel like, recently, too, you need to be witty, punny, has to be, like, culturally (laughs) relevant, it has to be tasteful, like, there's too many elements to Halloween now, like, if you just have a, um put on a mask or something it's a violation so it's a lot <laughs> of
1: work <laughs> whose idea was mario kart are there you guys like big big mario kart big n64 gamers over there
2: i feel like shelby definitely is chris actually plays a lot of mario kart um shelby may have gotten us into some mario kart at altitude in the winter um she has a twitch Nintendo twitch so oh, yeah. I feel like we played our fair share of Mario Kart there. I'm horrific. So I don't know why I'm the gamer or why that would be my role. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I would say definitely Shelby. Carissa's is good. Um, and so I don't know, really know how that originated. I think just the allure of making the costumes. I think whenever you have the balloons, I think we're an exciting element. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, um, I think it was just one of those costumes that has a lot of pieces to it, so uh, that just it sounded exciting to make, and I think as it all coming together, you just feel <laughs> like you're gonna walk in and be it's gonna be a good day.
1: <laughs> have you yeah. uh I have to ask? Have you ever played Birio Kart?
2: Yes. Okay. I think I'm pretty sure that's what Kur- I was gonna say. That's what Carissa <laughs> is really good at, but I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> um or drunk driving which yeah, is also Yeah, I think that's another name for the same game. Or drunk driving. Yeah, yeah. Um I, I have not played but i do think we've talked about that before, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's a, it's a classic. Uh it's uh it's a definite I don't think I've done that. I haven't thought of that game in so long, but you you're inspiring me to like you know, grab up the group this weekend and, and get the N64 out and play a little Mario Kart. So thank oh, that, you for that. I appreciate that idea. That's an ugly scene. Oh, no
2: problem. <laughs>
1: so we are definitely gonna get back into Halloween and and some more fun stuff. But let's get the uh, the lame running stuff out of the way quick here. Um. So you, you were off of your uh performance at the World Championships. Unbelievable performance. You uh finished eighth in the world. Um, that's that's pretty amazing and i don't you know that must feel pretty good to be able to say that you know there's you know only seven uh women in the entire world right now that can beat you in a ten k but it was coming after a uh you know not a uh not a bad performance at usas but something I think that you know you're hoping for something a little bit more um did that motivate you going into worlds and do you think that you can attest to you know that being a a, a big factor in what made you run so well at world championships?
2: Yeah, I think I just really had no choice but to try and go into the second half of the summer with just trying and act like I had a clean slate and I knew that I wouldn't have any races going into world. So it was just going to be like two months of hard training um, and to just like put my best forward into that try and just have fun and work really hard and not think too much about, um, like you said, a disappointing performance at USA's. Uh, definitely was a big motivation, but I, I don't. Not that I thought it. I think I couldn't. If I would have thought about USA's all summer, I think it would have made me more bitter than excited to compete again. So it was more just about um, starting over, kind of figuring out what I needed to do and what pieces I needed to move around to just try and have a better performance at Worlds.
1: Um, so yeah. So now, uh, now that Worlds is over, have you taken some time for yourself to kind of shut down the running a little bit and just you know focus on uh, enjoying yourself at all?
2: Yeah, this off season has been just like a little bit more busy than normal just with Worlds being as late as it was and then like directly after that um I got to do two pretty cool um opportunities with Nike but I think just the timing of them it happened one at the end of Worlds and then the week right after Worlds so traditionally we usually get like two weeks of downtime where you're just kind of running when you feel like it, how long you feel like it, usually for me, maybe like every other day or every couple days, 30 minutes, just to kind of keep things moving, making sure um, I don't just completely let all my tendons and muscles just fry out. <laughs> um, so doing that, but um, I went to Chicago right after, like from Doha to Chicago for, um, for a week with some more Bowerman people we got to do some stuff with high schools and um, just a few like mentor programs Nike teamed up with and then obviously the marathon Bumby race and had a huge PR so um, it was just kind of feels like I've been going back to back a lot of different places usually off season consists of just being on the couch and waiting for all my friends who have normal jobs to be home from work (laughs) like (laughs) them at the door (laughs) that's usually my mo um so this one's been a little bit more busy but not so much focused on my own personal running so it still felt like a good break
1: yeah is there anything like specifically that you allow yourself to to do maybe a, a certain food or a certain activity that you allow yourself to do when you're on off season that you wouldn't necessarily do you know when you're in training mode
2: I just feel like I'm constantly dehydrated <laughs> and um, I think it's more, I just am not as mindful of like, I feel like when I'm training, I'm really like eating to fuel myself. But now it's like, Oh, this piece of cake at 2 PM, it looks good. I'm going to get it. And you don't have to think about, I've got a double later or <laughs> as you should. <laughs> um So yeah, I think it's just not having to put so much thought and effort into like, I feel like when we're up at altitude or when we're in training, you're kind of eating to perform. So it's like the things that we're making or the days that we have it, or it's like, oh, we have a big workout tomorrow. Everybody wants pasta or wants like pizza or something that's going to be just allow, hopefully just like giving our body the fuel it needs to perform well. But I feel like when we're in off season or not training as hard I just am not as conscious about doing things that's going to make my body feel better which doesn't really make sense because hopefully I want my body always to feel good but <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think that's just the mental break you take for a couple of weeks
1: yeah Mike and I are washed up of runners right so so we once had that feeling of training you know super <laughs> intensely super competitively Um, And now we're kind of halfway holding on to the dream, running a few times a week. But one of the biggest things I miss is being able to just, like, eat everything in front of me and feel great afterwards. You know, you go in, you can literally order anything you want, any dessert on the menu, get two of them, and you just still feel great. Uh, Just remind me how good that feeling is.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Just, you that that sounds sadistic on my part, but... It is it is weird too, just coming off of like training really hard, it's like you're just hungry all the time, like you're always thinking about your next meal. We always joke that we'll be on a run at like 8 a.m., just finished breakfast, and just talking about, all right, like so, what should we get for dinner? You know, what what are we making tonight? Um, so I think that that it's weird now coming off of that, cause I'll start the first few days of or weeks of off season and like think that I need to eat the same things. I was like, oh, I've got to eat every couple hours. Like, but I'm not actually hungry. <laughs> like, this isn't I'm also not exercising. So <laughs> these don't these two things don't match up. Um yeah. But yeah, it is nice. I definitely it's coming around the time where I definitely do miss the hard training and just being in that routine, you know, which definitely means I did the off season right, which is that you're Good. ready to get back into it. Um and excited about, you know, what to build on for the next year.
1: One thing a uh, a Bowerman did last year that was that was awesome, so we're we're big cross country guys, and you guys absolutely dominated the national cross country championships with the worlds and you kind of said that, like you're still slowly rolling into it. Are you guys gonna run the cross country national championships again this year
2: i I don't know i was um I just was actually looking at some of the like our my agent sends out. Kind of the map of the year: or indoor, cross country, road races, just kind of everything. So it's nice to just visualize. Okay, like this is what the year looks like. And cross looks early this year because we go to altitude in January, and then I think cross is in January, not February. I think so? Yeah. If I'm correct. So
1: mm-hmm.
2: I don't think so, just from the way that I know the calend- what the calendar year looks like but i also wouldn't um everything always changes so i'm not 100% certain but my guess would be would be no just for the reason of where it lies on the calendar not because we wouldn't want to be there or um cuz i think like courtney has done cross country every year um since she's been professional i know emily always does it um so it been it would be cool I know we had a lot of fun in um in Tallahassee this year so that would have been fun to get back out there
1: Mary, you're breaking our hearts we we love cross-country we think it's so badass <laughs> when these like stud track runners just are like you know I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a cross-country course in the mud and the snow whatever it is <laughs> and they're just like you know slugging up hills so um we're disappointed uh, that's all I can say you've disappointed us
2: <laughs> all right well I hopefully I'll make it up in the end of the year for a okay. Olympic Trials performance, that's, that's that'll make up idea. for it. <laughs>
1: um, so back on like the you know the the theme of Olympics there, you know when you go to you know maybe some of these other races, not the Olympic Trials and the, and the World Championships, maybe some of the you know smaller races and the indoor track races, is there like a you know you know, an, an extra level of confidence that you have knowing that you, you know, are an Olympic athlete when you're, like, standing next to somebody on a line, like, and I, I just feel like you can feel that presence when you're standing next to someone. It's like, yeah, I'm an Olympian. You automatically intimidate that. Do you do you feel that at all?
2: I I wouldn't say that's where I got my, get my confidence from. Just, like, that one accolade, I would say, you, for me personally, like, I build my confidence throughout the year, like with mm-hmm. the dedication that I have to my work and, and from, I don't want to want to say a workout or specific workouts, but I think just like having a body of work going into a big race is what gives me confidence. Is just, I know that I've been um, committed to getting better and, and like trying to be uh, the best that I can be on that day. So that's pretty much what gets me excited to compete. I wouldn't say, that I get to the line I'm like I'm an Olympian this is gonna work out for me for sure
1: <laughs> yeah that's fair <laughs> that's how I would be but that's probably why I'm not an Olympian
2: <laughs> No, I I feel like everyone's different so it, was, it, was a <laughs> question. it could work for some people but I think for me personally I just I that's where I get my confidence from is um just what goes into each day for sure
1: yeah have you ever been to Tokyo
2: I have not, but my uncle's wife is actually Japanese. So it would be really... I have some family there, and, um, yeah, it would be... I know that they are pretty excited for the games to be um, in Tokyo. So,
1: yeah. yeah. A little home field advantage, you know? We uh... <laughs>
2: Not quite, but I'm going to claim it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um. So one thing we've been trying to, like, ask our our guest recently, because we're trying to showcase the the personalities of the athletes a little bit, not get too deep into, you know, training and workouts and stuff like that is, you know, if you weren't a professional runner, what would you be doing with your life? You know what I mean? Like what is your what are your other passions? What do you what do you do with your time outside of running?
2: I'm gonna say bucket dream, which has nothing to do with my actual talents or skill set, would be some type of like a DJ, music producer, or like picking out the soundtracks for movies, if that's a real job, that's what I'd want. That's
1: Um, awesome.
2: (laughs) And I'm going to say what I'm actually qualified for (laughs) would be um, probably something in public policy and education. When I, before I knew that professional running was an option, I actually was going to do Teach for America in Philly
1: for two years.
2: Um, so, yeah, that's probably what I'm actually qualified for. But if I could somehow be the person responsible for picking people's entry songs or themes, that would be me. So, those are my two options. <laughs>
1: That is definitely gonna be the most like original answer we ever get to that yeah. question. So propsy for that for having thought of that career, whether it exists or not. But but give us an example. Is there a movie that could have been done better? Is there an athlete that doesn't have the right walk up song to <laughs> you know, enter into whatever, you know, sport they do? Or what's your let me let me change that. If you don't have one for that, what is your walk up song if you played every time Ariel Howell walks onto the track?
2: I feel like my my songs change too often. Actually, I can't even. I honestly wouldn't even say because it it's it's too embarrassing. But you gotta
1: I, say. It. Uh, you, yeah, gotta you gotta say. it. Say it. <laughs> you've already. It, it's too late for that.
2: <laughs> uh, let me think. Let me think. I'll okay. I'll come back to this question before the end of this. I'll have I'll have my walk-up song. But I okay. think, You know how exciting it is when you're just watching a good movie. Or you're seeing a preview to the movie and you kind of don't even know what it's about, but you're just like, this soundtrack is gonna be everything. This is this is gonna be a good movie, this is gonna be a good show. I just appreciate music or movies and shows so much more when the soundtrack, you know, when I'm shazamming mid mid um mid movie, it's a good it's a good mm. thing. So if I could be that person, also the best gifts when people give you, you songs. You know, you're always gonna remember that person. It you're always will be sure. specific to a good time. So I feel like those are two, those are things that I would have fun doing. But um, I don't have any walkout songs for for myself just yet. But I'll think of <laughs> <it's> something. <laughs> okay,
1: so, uh, we'll, we'll go, back. I'll go back. Go ahead. Go ahead. We'll, I want to go back we'll, to your we'll, first answer. That your initial thought was you said DJ. I like I. I need for you to when when it's all said and done you hang up the cleats. I need you to go and pursue a DJ career. I think it'd be it'd be awesome. To th- you know, throw on the headphones, get your little you know your, your little mixing going, and uh, you know get yourself in a club and just start DJing. Uh, do you like fantasize and have daydreams about about choosing that lifestyle?
2: <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Same same fantasies <laughs> I have of like crossing the finish line. I also have of myself just making making the night. You know. When it's a good DJ, it makes the
1: whole night. Come on, I, I keep feel they're... like it can't be that hard, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: mean, it's probably very hard, but... It's probably <laughs> incredibly hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, that's something I could work on. Luckily, yeah. I have a lot of um downtime, So, I could probably see, figure out some way to work on this bucket dream. <laughs>
1: is it is it your responsibility at you know partyings and gather parties and gatherings with your friends to be the person that has you know the multiple uh youtube tabs up or the spotify going like are you the are you the party dj I want
2: that responsibility at all times but I feel like I've been cancelled more times than not <laughs> um, but I always want the responsibility so that's that's most important you know I come in with confidence and hopes that I can that i I can take the responsibility but i'm not sure if it always pays out for me but i
1: get i can totally surprised. relate to that when i have taylor swift on for the seventh straight song <laughs> and people change it it happens to me all yeah. the time
2: oh <laughs> uh, yeah there's there's sometimes it doesn't always hit the way that you wanted to but you got to be true to your own preferences are, so are you
1: that. are you a taylor swift song mariel or sorry I, taylor swift fan
2: I don't want to be, but like everyone else, when it comes on, I'm like, this is good. Okay. She knows how to make a good song. <laughs> she does. Might right,
1: she does. <laughs> me and Trent are, uh, are very, very big fans.
2: Okay. Yeah, so it's I, bet- totally, I'm, I never want it to be what I'm singing to or like what I choose, <laughs> but I'm like, ah, she's back. I gotta listen. She pulls me in.
1: See, does us admitting that we're huge Taylor Swift fans make you feel more comfortable about sharing your embarrassing walkout song?
2: I mean, it's not it's not embarrassing, I just think it's 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 a lot. Anything? Honestly, I don't anything Beyonce. I'm a huge Beyonce fan. Okay. So I'm I gonna turn on I Beyonce that. before Taylor Swift. Um, but I shamefully enjoy a lot of Taylor Swift music. Good. So. Good. What are,
1: what are what they called? The the Bay Hive? Are you part of the Bay Hive? Yes. <laughs> i'm in
2: the hive I get all the emails i know where all the meetups are everything I'm all right in the hive for sure
1: love it all right well now that we've uh definitely asked more questions about your uh your fantasy uh life of being a dj let's let's get on to our uh our final game here we do this with all of our uh guests it's called down the home stretch and what we do is we we pick a specific topic, and we just kind of rapid-fire questions and, until we don't have any left. And now this interview is going to uh, its going to air after Halloween, probably well after Halloween. But since we're in the spirit of talking about it, we're just going to stick with it. Halloween's our topic, and the clock is going to start on Trent's question. Go ahead, Trent. All right, here we go. We'll start with a simple one. What, what's your best homemade Halloween costume?
2: I was just telling Shelby about this. I had a really big balloon phase in, um, I want to say, yeah, it was definitely high school, so way too old for this. But I was a shower. I was a bunch of grapes. Like, I just, anything that I could possibly put balloons to my, um, to a shirt or any type of apparatus, <laughs> I was really into that for a long time. So I was going to say that, that was my peak.
1: You sound like a really a cool high schooler. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right. So I feel like this is a very simple question, but you can tell a lot about a person with this question. What is your favorite candy?
2: Hmm, I'm going to go in the gummy variety, Nerds Rope. In the Whoa. chocolate variety. Yeah. Didn't see that coming. But no, I didn't. didn't okay. <laughs> In the chocolate category, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, oh, Hershey's cookies and cream. Wow, those, those are, are two, two
1: very, very out of the box answers, and I respect the hell out of it. I'm if, glad. If those there was more time two on, two on the clock, days. I would cut it. Yeah, well done. <laughs> yeah, but we got more time, so we got to keep going. Um, What was the oldest age you trick-or-treated?
2: Um, I trick treated my sophomore year of college. I'm short enough to still make it happen. <laughs> That's awesome. So as long as I'm wearing a mask, it can happen.
1: <laughs> what are what are you most scared of in the whole world?
2: Spiders. What was it? But I don't do spiders.
1: Oh yeah, spiders. Yeah, they're the worst. Yeah,
2: I don't do this.
1: <laughs> have you have you ever gone out and egged or teepeed someone's house?
2: I have. Yes.
1: Whoa. I
2: don't, honestly, I don't think that was ever a part of the egging or teeing, but I have I have neighborhood FOMO. So you know, when I was younger, <laughs> I was definitely running around with my neighbors, who my mom called the Menendez brothers. So <laughs> that's <laughs> that should be a clue. They were pretty problematic teenagers, but they grew up to be good humans. Um, that's good. <laughs> I feel like I was I was behind a lot of their shenanigans. So I don't know that I've ever made contact to someone's house, but I ran around. <laughs> <laughs> all right.
1: Do you do you believe in ghosts?
2: Yes, for sure. Aliens, oh. ghosts,
1: Whoa. all of the things. Alright, this is the last question. When you were trick or treating in college, um, were you utilizing <laughs> your, your your super fast track speed to just like hit a bunch of houses?
2: I wasn't running.
1: No. <laughs> Missed realize,
2: Yeah, definitely. But I mean, I got candy, free candy, till I was 20. So, wow. It's still, still, still capitalized. Did
1: you get any comments? Like, people were like, hey, I don't know if you should be doing this. <laughs> yeah.
2: Definitely got some weird looks. But honestly, even now, I think if I went trick or treating, nobody's going to turn you away. They're just going to be like, you shouldn't be doing this. So you know, just kind of a few eye rolls, but for the most part, everybody was still.
1: <laughs> you <laughs> know, I just, I actually just saw on the news that some state like made it illegal for uh 14 year olds and older to to <laughs> trick or treat. So if you get caught being like older than 14, you can get I don't know in trouble with the with the police, which is pretty crazy.
2: Yeah, that's ridiculous.
1: <laughs> Taking
2: all the fun out the
1: holiday yeah, <laughs> yeah i just want to say the only reason i asked the last question is because i definitely went way too old where people were like i don't think we should give you candy it's like come on i dressed up <laughs> but yeah i was way too old yeah. how old how old's way
2: too old
1: not not sophomore in college but definitely <laughs> like you know senior year of high school like still trick-or-treating so yeah. oh okay. man okay. all right Maria. well thank you so much for coming on and taking the time to talk to us. Uh, good luck with your upcoming season. Good luck uh, making the Olympic team and have fun at your Halloween party this weekend.
2: Yeah, of course, thanks for having me. And have yeah. a good Halloween to you guys too. I hope you have costumes, trick-or-treating ready. Out will do my um, sophomore year. You should go trick-or-treating. <laughs> yeah,
1: all right, all right. We'll, we'll let you know if we do All right. Thank you so much. Thanks
2: again, Mariel.
1: That interview with Mariel Hall is brought to you by TheFeed.com. TheFeed is an online nutrition vendor and the number one resource for athletes. TheFeed offers everything you need for training, racing, recovery, sleep, anti-aging, weight loss, and heck, The Feed even carries products that can help you cure a hangover from a post-race celebration. The Feed carries over 200 brands of the best sports nutrition, recovery products, and supplements. Whether you are looking for a hydration product, gel, energy bar, foam roller, CBD product, or quality supplement, The Feed carries it all. Brands like Murriton Goo, Honey Stinger, Clif Bar, Infinite, RX Bar, Vital Fit, all of your favorite brands are available at the feed. Go to thefeed.com, enter in promo code P2E15. That's P2E15. Get your 15% off. You're running out of time. You got to do it now. Mike, do you think there's anything on the feed to keep you warm during your cold I hope runs? I so. I might check it out right now. It's cold. Mike, two years ago, it's you cold. were in Antarctica at this time. All right? Come on, pull it together. In in Mike's defense, he did all his runs in the treadmill in Antarctica. That's true. I'm accustomed (laughs) to the treadmill now. Uh, So, hey, guys, uh, this was another weekend with not a ton of races going on, not a a ton to report on the running world, but there was quite a few stories, important stories for the running world that that did come out over the past week, the first of which, the Diamond League. Cutting some events now for our OG listeners, this was kind of a big moment for the P2E podcast. So just no. quickly, quickly go through the Diamond League cut. So this this past week it came out that they cut the 200, they cut the steeple chase, they cut the discus, and they cut the triple jump. Now we can get we're gonna get into some of these events and you know why they cut it. So they 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 essentially cut one event from each group they cut a, a sprint they cut a distance event they cut a jumping event and they cut a throwing event um so we're going to get into some of these events but one of the central tenets that the p2e podcast was built on was that the 200 meters stinks and it, it needs stinks. to go from the world of track and field what do you say boys what do you think of this i think there's a. Uh you know, some higher powers out there in the track universe that have been uh, subscribing to the Peak Too Early podcast and have finally taken our advice on how to make this sport better. I think I, I went on a little bit of a roller coaster of emotions here, right? Like the first initial thought was, hell yeah, no more 200. This is great. And then I, I do think it's definitely worth mentioning the counter to counter it, right? Like, now we have less uh, premier events for for some of our our track studs for some of the best athletes in the world and is it is it really good for the sport that some of these guys don't have this platform to perform on and you know these nationally televised events and a place to get paid but then I went back to the 200 sucks and I was excited <laughs> about it so so hey shout out to our guy Riley Masters we had him on I don't know it must be like you know going on seven or eight episodes ago, but he was, he was the first person that said the IAAF needs to listen to peak too early and get our advice because we, we are not only, we're sure we're runners, we're fans of the sport, but we're overall just sports fans, right? And we have a sense of what people are going to get into and what people are going to want to watch and watching countless heats of the 200 an event that's that's crammed in between it it, you know if you're a 200 runner either just run the 100 meters or run the 400 meters it doesn't make any sense to have you know a half a track race it just it's it was the worst event in the sport and anybody that's ever run in high school run in college and had to sit at an indoor meet well they just do an hour of 200 heats it is the worst thing in the world agreed and uh yeah i mean like Riley said, they need to start listening to us. Um, I mean, they took out they took our advice to the 200 and then they just kept it rolling. They're like, oh, we're going to listen to the P2E boys. We're going to get rid of the 200. Let's also get rid of the steeplechase. Let's get rid of the discus. Let's get rid of the triple jump. Let's just start carving out all of these events. Uh, how do you guys feel about them just going all crazy and just slicing out events left and right? So... I'm a little bit worried uh, for the distance events because now both the 5k and the 3k are both gone from, from diamond league meets. like distance runners. I mean, so they're going to, I think they're running the two mile now. So they're doing the 1500 and two mile. But other than that, like it's kind of leaving distance runners out of the, the diamond league, which is a real concern. I mean, the, I mean, you know, we, we talked to uh, we talked to Sam Parsons about the about the 5K a little bit and how you know on the on the world stage at the world championship, you know, with the with some of these athletes, the 5K is arguably one of the most exciting events to watch. And now they're now they're doing with the 5K and steeple, and the steeple brings. I mean, it brings like an interesting dynamic to the sport because I mean we were t- we were talking about it after uh, after after the USA Championships. We were watching it with people that don't typically watch track, and they're like, "Whoa, what's that? What's that barrier doing on the on the track? What's that? What's that water pit doing on the track?" So it kind of brought an interesting element there. So I don't really understand what they're doing with the distance events. It seems like they're kind of weeding it out of the Diamond League. The steeple, uh, we're going to miss some, some highlights of people wiping out, which is one of the best parts of all track and field is the steeple wipeout. So I hope we don't lose too many of those, but I, I agree with all your points, Steve. And I, I don't want to like say, I don't want I don't have a hot take on what event needed to be cut, what events needed to be, this needed to stay. But I do think making a significant move to shorten the diamond league events is a good thing. Um, this in order to be like a more accessible thing for someone to turn on, you know, on a weekend or something like that, a casual sportsman, I don't want like a three hour track meet going on that that's not going to cut it. But if you have something that's, you know, in between a couple of college football games or whatever it is, and it's an hour of track and field or whatever it is, like, you know, shorten it down. It's like, you know, everyone complains baseball's too long, you lose interest, you can't get like new excitement. But if you're like, Here's an hour of like some of the most exciting events and like some of the just non-stop action. Uh I think that'll in the long run help the diamond league grow in popularity. Just make it easier for casual sports fans to sit down and watch and maybe bet a little bit. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more Trent and so the general consensus from it seems like the athletes the out- athletes are pretty outraged. I mean at least the people taking to social media and the people who had their events cut are, you know, they're pissed off. And as they should be, I in the, if I was in their situation, I probably would be too. But we got to look at this as a perspective of what it does for the sport. And you're right. It condenses this sport. And then it pushes more elite athletes into smaller group of events. So you get more competitive races. And look, I love the steeplechase. And I've been on the record saying that I want to promote the Steeplechase more. So it sounds like I'm contradicting myself. But what I like that the Diamond League did is they took one event from each event group. And at the end of the day, I mean, the Steeplechase is probably the least followed distance event out there. I mean, I love the Steeplechase. But if you're going to pluck one from each event, that's probably the right choice. And I think they're doing the right thing. I think they need to condense it down. I think they need to get people more excited about these sports and you know what people are always going to be upset with every decision this is a business decision people are always going to be upset with it so yeah you're going to have 200 meter runners you're going to have triple jumpers you're going to have steeple jumpers pissed off and you know it is what it is if we're going to promote trying to make this sport better and a more marketable sport they're doing the things they're at least trying things right there's there's so many parts of the sport that it's all traditional and they're not trying anything at least the diamond league is trying different things and if this doesn't work all right we'll switch it up next year we'll we'll do different things but they're trying to make this sport more marketable and i love it yeah i i agree with everything you said and you know i would be way more behind cutting the steeple if they didn't cut the 5k so i get yeah. everything you said my my one last point I want to make on you know cutting the 5K and the the steeple is that I think that the Diamond League, at least in the U.S., has to realize who their target market for these mm-hmm. events are, and I would argue that their target market, the people that they need to win over first, are distance runners. Yep. Um, those are the people that are buying into the sport. They're making the sport a lifestyle. Those are the kids that you're going to appeal to. I just feel like, they're, I mean, they're going to be there across all events, but I think you're more likely to get diehard loyal fans out of the distance groups rather than the other events. So that's so that's kind of like my one argument. If you're trying to do this to grow the sport, I'm all for it. I'm all for you know, doing different stuff, mixing it up, making the meet shorter, um, but also recognize, like, who the fans that are going to grow the sport are. Yeah, do You guys get well, what I'm saying by that? I, I, mm-hmm. I do, and just just to throw it out there, and I don't know all the logistics of it. I, I need to dig deeper into it, but they are still going to run these four events at some Diamond League meets. Like, they're not compl- – I think yeah. that it's kind of what they did with the 5K last year. Like, they ran it at some meets, and um, but it's just not going to be one of the primary events. So you'll still see these events. It's just not going to be, I think, one of the championship events, which is, you know, people take the Diamond League series. But, I mean, the biggest concern that I have with them cutting the steeplechase, actually probably my favorite part of them cutting the steeplechase now that I think about it, is now I can use that as an excuse to be like, yeah, I was going to... Go pro in steeple chases here, but they <laughs> cut the they cut the steeple, so I you know I gotta look for other career paths now. If you were if you were tough enough to be a chaser, Mike, you would be tough enough to run outside. So I don't think oh. anyone is buying that pick whatsoever. <laughs> I got my running today, whether it was on the treadmill or it was outside, or it was over steeples, or it was in water pits, I got my running today, Trentle. <laughs> oh man. Okay. What about the triple jump? Now, listen. We've talked about the triple jump before. It's one of like the craziest, weirdest events to, to watch, but to me, it makes no sense. I don't understand it at all. Like I don't understand why it's an event in the first place. And this just could be an you know an ignorant distance runner saying this, but like I didn't even bat an eye at that. It's just like, yeah, that's the weirdest event in the sport. Got it. It makes no sense. The Triple Dump is more like a halftime entertainment at yeah. like a Celtics <laughs> game than a sport. It's just like a weird feat of athleticism. So I actually love the triple Dump, and that's coming from someone who doesn't watch enough about it or know anything of it. I just think it is these guys look superhuman when they when they do what they're doing. And I I coached uh, high school track and fields for <laughs> one year, and I was the only coach. <laughs> There's me and one throws coach, so I had to coach all the jumps. So I had to like try and teach myself <laughs> how to coach triple jump. So I definitely got more of an appreciation for those events when I, when I was trying to coach those. So uh, yeah, I mean it, it's again out of the jumps, it's the one that needs to go because it makes no sense. But I do have a deep appreciation for the triple jump. Well, the thing I love about the sport of track and field, it's just like all right, if you throw this object further than that, that object, you win. If you if you get to this finish line, if you run faster than this other person, then you win. If you jump further than this person, then you win. But then you just have this weird event where you're gonna do a hop, skip, and a jump. Like it, I don't know, it's that, just like you're right, you're it's, right. it's, it's, it's so weird. Mike, triple give jumpers. us like the first lesson in triple jumping. Like what what's what's day one with the triple jump squad on the track team look like? Okay, so there's uh the you. Launch foot is the same foot that you take your second jump off of, right? So you're focusing a lot on that leg and your coordination on that leg. And it's a lot of like when you fall on the that first, you got to be able to pop right out of it. So we did a lot of pop-out work. Um I, I can't say that I had any good triple jumpers, so I can't say that my coaching didn't need any good. But, yeah, there it is. All you future triple jumpers, just take that uh, – you gotta work on your, you know, your same like pop right out of there. That that sounded legit. I'll give I know, you that, man. I, I like think like I was the, the launch the pop. As it's <laughs> all, all I know about triple jumping, I know three things, right? I know that you you gotta put that that tape down because you you gotta get the exact distance of your strides. Right. Everybody's Straight. got their own tape. I know that you got to get the crowd into it. You got to get the clapping right. Mm. You got to get everybody in uh, sync with the clapping. Yep, yep, super yep. important, super important. And then the third most important part of the triple jump is you got to like spray the sand up as like in a in a really like unique way and just scream. So if it's if it was a good jump, good jump, you got to scream like in a happy way. If it was a if it was a bad jump, you got to scream and like punch the sand. That's all I know about the triple jump. Steve Jenner and triple jump. Yeah, it's aficionado. A, that's right. That's right. So so you know you know. You should have brought me in as your triple. I should jump. have like, taken them to the Steve Jenner School of Triple Jump. That's right. That's right. Discus. Um, I'll let you, why don't you guys start with this? Because I got a couple thoughts on this one. Ahead, I don't know. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if I have any thoughts. I mean, I got some thoughts. Uh, I'll start. Just... <laughs> I'll start. I mean, like this is. I think this is a really tough one to cut because I agree. because like if you're. If you're a steeple jump runner, like if if you're a steepler, you know it's a three k. Like y- if you really wanted to, you can train for the two mile now, right? Um, you know if you're a two hundred runner, you can either go down to the hundred or up to the four hundred. The discus, the discus is a a discipline all its own. It is nothing to do with uh, a shot put, a hammer throw. It is a completely different discipline. So you are just you are just completely cutting out a group of athletes that has nowhere to go. The discus is also super fun to watch. <laughs> when you watch those big guys like spin around and get the the torque and the balance there, it's it's pretty mind boggling. So, uh, not that I have watched a discus event anytime recently, so I'm not like the biggest fan. But those are some crazy athletes. I love how all of our takes being like, I'm actually like a huge fan of this event. I haven't watched it in five years, but I'm a huge fan of this event. <laughs> I mean that probably says a lot right there. I mean, listen, it goes back to my original take. Something's got to go. It wasn't gonna be shot put. If you're gonna stick to this, we gotta cut from each event and keep it even. Something's got to go, and I guess discus was the uh, the poor event that had to go. You're gonna piss off. You're gonna piss people off. You're going to piss people off doing this. And What if, uh, what if there was like a, a thrower, I don't know, triathlon where the guys had to do something different every week? A little shot put to jab to discus. Would that be yeah. fun as all hell? I like it. I, I mean, just make like you got to be an all around thrower. You got to do all the throwing disciplines, not just mm-hmm. one. I yeah. like that and then you're bringing fans from each event. Cuz like, oh, see Trent, you solved it. You solved it. You do you do one throwing event at each um at each diamond league meet. And it's scored exactly the same. So you throw all the throwers in together. So the so the people that do the different disciplines need to learn the other disciplines, but when it comes around to their discipline, they're dominant in it. I love mm-hmm. it. You, you just, listening? You listening Diamond League? IAAF. I devil if, yeah, you listen to you us listening? on the 200, listen to us on that. Trent, you just fix the sport of track and field. Let's go, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> no, plus, the casual fan doesn't care if, like, everybody, they don't really know what the records are and stuff, so you just get to watch cool athletes and, like, competitiveness, you know? It, it's not like people are going to be, like, you know, bummed that this guy's throwing five feet shorter than the other guy that could throw it. Trent, I love this idea. This is the single greatest idea anybody's had for the sport of track and field. This is the most love I've ever gotten on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that, that idea stinks. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think we just you fix the uh, fix the world of uh, throwing it track. Well, stick. we know we know the IF is listening, so we'll wait. Just you know, give it maybe till next year, and then I'll yeah. implement this. Guys, any any final thoughts on the on the uh, the Diamond League uh, event changes before we wrap this topic up? Yeah, I do. So well, I think a lot of my takes came out of the. uh hold on. Is that the iAF a IAF. IAF. <laughs> <laughs> he professional yeah. podcaster for one time in your life it's the, Steve, it's the iAF calling to talk about his idea um, all right so so my <laughs> take or hold on let me think what say oh so most of my takes were really about uh you know how to build excitement, how to build like discussion the, the social clout of the diamond League and track and field in general I, I do want to say like. There is a chance, and I don't know, like, the economics behind what's going on right now. What I really hope and don't, you know, just really hope is not true is that the Diamond League is, you know, super struggling or something. And now they're kind of getting desperate on ways to keep this event going and, and keep the, you know, things funded. So, you know, we were saying we're excited about this and we love the shortened things. But I think it'd be remiss not to be like, oh, snap, I really hope they're not, like, you know, making desperate moves and and this is a sign of more things to come so um just uh just want to keep that out in mind and all my takes are based on like social discussion and i have no idea what the economics are because it could be really bad my final take is that we should create a track and field league and only include these four events (laughs) so all the pissed off disgruntled athletes will come and compete at our league
0: what would we call
1: it um I don't know. We got we got a workshop that we got to be like What's the, the opposite of a diamond? It'll, it'll be like the island of misfit track <laughs> athletes league, or yeah, the 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 gemstone. The, the rhinestone gemstone league? league. Yeah, the rhinestone <laughs> league. All right, there it is. Uh, let's do it. I love it. I love it. So uh, so moving on from one of the central tenets of what, you know, the foundation of Peak Too Early was built on in getting rid of the 200, we're going to move to a different direction. You know, we were built uh, – we made this podcast um, with the idea of making the sport of track and field, distance running fun. We wanted to enjoy it. We wanted to build the fan base in there's been so much neg. I mean, over the past couple months, there's been so many great things that have happened in the sport, but there's been a lot of negativity around the sport. Um, and Mary Kane uh, came out and said some things against Alberto Salazar this week and the, the uh, Nike Oregon Project. And we hate the fact that we have to kind of keep going back and this talk about this, but we feel like we need to.
0: When I first arrived, an all male Nike staff became convinced that in order for me to get better, I had to become thinner and thinner and thinner. This Nike team was the top running program in the country. And yet we had no certified sports psychologist. There was no certified nutritionist. It was really just a bunch of people who were Alberto's friends. So when I went to anybody for help, they would always just tell me the same thing. And that was to listen to Alberto. Alberto was constantly trying to get me to lose weight. He created an arbitrary number of 114 pounds and he would usually weigh me in front of my teammates and publicly shame me if I wasn't hitting weight. He wanted to give me birth control pills and diuretics to lose weight, the latter of which isn't allowed in track and field. I ran terrible during this time, but reached a point where I was on the starting line and I'd lost the race before I started. Because, in my head, all I was thinking of was not the time I was trying to hit, but the number on the scale I saw earlier that day
1: so i I feel like there's a lot to unpack here. Um, I have a lot of thoughts um, the first of which that I really want to talk about is um that this is i mean this is this is terrible. I mean, this is really bad. I mean, I remember Mary Kane. I remember her as kind of like an up and coming prodigy in the sport, and she kind of she kind of fizzled out and you know the fact that she had to go through this and the fact that it didn't pan out for her it's a real shame i mean she should have been a hero for america and and and, it, and it's it's really sad that it didn't work out but you know I, I think that you know the thing that i took away from this the 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 first let's just say the first, my first thought when i when i listened to this and i kind of read through it and i kind of absorbed uh you know Mary Kane's thought on thoughts on this was just I think the importance I mean there you know there's a lot of in in other sports there's a lot of negativity around the NCAA but I think in a sport like running it's those 4 years in terms of your your physical growth, your mental growth, your growth as a person, I mean, are really important. I know for for myself, I mean, obviously I wasn't a young high school prodigy, you know, one of the best in the world, but I learned so much from my time in the NCAA and kind of growing up with my with my college team that you know, I think that this is a a cautionary tale for a, a star athlete to, even though it's it's encouraging to kind of go get that professional career, maybe start making a little bit of money, but to, you know, go through the NCAA, go through your time as college to like really grow as a person. I mean, for me, that was my first takeaway from it. What do you guys think? Yeah. So there is like so many layers to this, and like you said. It stinks that we're talking about it because this we're supposed to be the the you know bringing fun to this sport and and staying away from you know we're trying to grow the sport and make it a fun sport, and so we are talking about things that stink but i it, it was really hard for me to listen to this story just because it it is it, it's it's a another horrible slight on The sport of track and field and the the sad truth to it is I am sure this is not the only story like this out there. I'm sure there are countless stories out there like this and it stinks. And I want to make something very clear because I felt like in the past it seemed as if this podcast was like very pro Alberto Salazar because in our, you know, when the whole drug thing came out, we seemed like we were on the NOP side but I want to reiterate like what we were talking about there. We were so pro athlete on that side. Like we were defending the athletes of the NLP. I stand by what I said on that podcast. I don't like Alberto Salazar. And I do think he is, you know, full of himself and a win at all costs kind of guy. And I I believe that he probably, whether he knew he was doing it or not, was pushing Mary Kane to to limits he shouldn't have been as a 17-year-old, 18-year-old girl and was probably making her feel like she needed to be a certain weight, like she needed to fit a certain mold. And that is incredibly damaging on a 17-, 18-year-old girl. And, again, I'm sure that story is not felt alone by Mary Kane and alone by Alberto Salazar. This story, it's an important story for track and field because I think it's an important part of the sport, but... It is again, th- this, the running world right now is, is drowning in just not good news. And it is, it, it's, it's a tough place to be, you know, in, in the sports media world for this sport right now. It's, it's not in a good place. Yeah. I, I, uh, I totally agree. My hottest take is that this stuff sucks that like, this is the story that's dominating, but it, you know, if this was going on, I'm glad that it, you know, came to light. I think it's worth noting that it's not just Mary Kane. Like she came out and then there's been several runners um, that have come out and had similar comments about the culture that existed there. Uh, Some women, there's also, I know at least one male runner that ran for NOP that came out and said it was a negative culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I, you know, I think you made a good point, Mike. It's like, all you can do is take everything into consideration that, you know, who knows Sal Salazar might be like, so delusional, not even sure he like realized he was shaming people with his coaching techniques. He might've thought he was just a, like a, a hard ass coach that this is what yep. needs to be done to get the best out of your athletes. I think who actually looks the worst in this is, is Nike itself. Because I think there are, you know, if these things are about Salazar is everything is true. And he is kind of, you know uh, just an unhealthy coach to be around um there are psycho coaches in everywhere in every sport and it's usually on the owner of the team or the general manager and the athletic director to kind of make sure you have a good culture that exists and so nike you know uh, with the the doping stuff that has already been tied to this team and now with this that's coming out it just looks like they really like either turned a blind eye or enabled it, because this stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's not like Salazar is the only coach there. There's going to be other people in the building. So I don't know. I feel like Nike uh, has to step up, take a little responsibility, and I think they look kind of sucky um, for all of this that kind of went on under um, their thumb. Like I said, maybe it was in some people's eyes just like a tough, you know, hard-ass coach, and that's the best way of doing it. But if the effect is uh, all these people felt this you know, shitty about it, um, somebody has got to be like the adult in the room and do, make take steps to have a positive culture. So I'll be interested to in see how Nike ends up handling this in the long run and, you know, what kind of actions they take. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely want to want to dive into Nike a little bit. And I guess, you know, you know, my my original point was that, yeah, there are crazy coaches like uh, across sports and, you know, you know, any, any sport you look at, you're going to find crazy coaches, but very rarely are they dealing with, you know, 17 year old kids that haven't, you know, fully, fully grown up. So I think that was my, my original, my original point, but in, in just kind of going back to that a little bit in the sense where this sport is so unique, where it's like, you need to, where, where it's a, it's a combination of, of, of getting the best out of yourself physically and pain management and, Everything that goes into that, you need to be a complete person. You know, you need to, you know, you need to be there. You need, you just need to be there in every aspect of your life to to kind of fully succeed, not just physically. And I think that I think one of the most important pieces that are, are going to come from this. And, you know, I think we, we're going to look back and credit Mary Kane for this is teams are going to start to look into the, like, yes. I think she said the, the psychological aspect, like they didn't have, you know, the, the most powerful, biggest team in the world didn't have a team psychologist or, you know, anything, anybody to help with the, you know, kind of mental side of making them a a, a complete athlete. And, you know, when she said that, like, it didn't even occur to me, like, I would never even think of that. Like I, I you know, uh-huh. I, a, a professional team, like that wouldn't even be like a piece that I would think of, you know, you have the coach and, you know, I would just never consider that as part of a running team, but she brings up a really great point that, you know, teams like this should have somebody like that for the athletes to turn to, especially the big teams like Nike Oregon Project. Absolutely. And I think that's probably something that you see more of now, but I think you said something really important there, Steve, because we keep talking about how much this sucks and how much of a dark cloud it's putting over track and how much we don't like talking about it and all that. I think what we're leaving out is like in the long run, her coming out and saying this stuff could be very, very good for the sport, right? And I, I hope to see positive change in this sport, and I hope to see, you know, maybe a lot of coaches and athletes who didn't even realize that they were promoting this kind of culture. It was subconscious. They were just like a a win-first kind of mentality. Didn't realize it was. Maybe now they're checking themselves, right? Hearing this story and thinking about it. So yes, it does suck talking about it right now, but hopefully it can create positive change. And yeah, maybe it's, it's, uh, you know, Actually, within the teams and within the sports, hiring different people who you know specialize in this, or whether it's just people taking a different mentality, or people taking this stuff more seriously, or it just gives people more of a um, leash to talk about it and feel comfortable talking about this stuff, and it's not so taboo. Um, so, yeah, I, I think in the long run, hopefully, this will be a positive change for the sport. Steve, you said you you never would think about having you know the psychologist on the team, but this is kind of like the the anti p2e philosophy here we are all about you know running hard working your ass off making some sacrifices but enjoying it along the way like having fun you know not getting all worked Mm -hmm. up about you know the little variables in this case maybe it's like the body weight you're you're weighing in at or whatever you ate that day or whatever it is we're just about like just be a badass and go out and race hard and enjoy it and live it so i feel like this whole like culture that was talked about this is like the anti p2e p2e is like totally you know we we stress and you know we're not world-class athletes but i still think the things we talk about you know we've had world-class athletes on this podcast that kind of subscribe by the work hard enjoy yourself and like you know find fulfillment in running rather than it be like this awful sacrifice you have to make so um this was uh this is like reinforced you know the the tenants that we're talking about in our episodes here Yeah. And just to kind of bring it back to something Mike said uh, early on in the discussion that when we talked about in previous episodes, when we did talk about NLP, we were completely and totally on the side of the athletes. So any support that we kind of gave to them in the past was was, you know, for the athletes and being on the side of the athletes and and making sure that, you know, they're getting their voice and they're being protected. So uh, I think that's that's really kind of uh, important to reiterate. In in Kane's case, I think we continue on that stance, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. I we're, we are a pro athlete podcast. <laughs> Guys, I got I got a little conspiracy theory about this whole thing. So, oh here's what I think. I think that Nike <laughs> knew what this was coming. <laughs> no, this is this is well thought out. Trust me. I think Nike knew this was coming and they got tipped off and they kind of knew this culture existed the whole time. And that's why they shut down the Oregon Project, along with the doping stuff. I always thought it was a little funny how quick they were to pull the trigger on cutting the Oregon Project. Because it was only Salazar that got in trouble, right? Like, none of the athletes had actually been, you know, caught for it. It was like, why can't you bring in a, a new coach or something like that? It seemed like they were a little too excited to end it. And I think they knew there was a lot of sketchy stuff and there was a lot of negative stuff going on. They had some insider tips like, yo, New York Times is working on a big story. It's going to be awful. And they try to get ahead of it. But that's another reason why I'm kind of anti-Nike in this. I bet I bet they knew all this stuff was coming out. What do you guys think? Not a horrible take. And interesting. It's inter- it is interesting because even Mary Kane, like at the end of her thing in the New York Times video, says something along the lines of like, and I can already see what's going to happen here. You know, Nike is going to. Set up probably a different team under the same coaches, just not Alberto Salazar, but all of his other coaches and things. They're intending on things just going back to normal, um, and that's I don't think what, you can. I don't yeah, think you right. can now. You definitely can. Oh, I after mean, this, absolutely. I mean, not. I, I believe that they're going to set up a new team, and I'm I'm excited to see that new team. But you absolutely can't just rebrand, just rebrand it with a different name definitely and go not. in the same direction. You can't. I mean, Nike needs to fundamentally do something different here. They need to make a stance. They need to. Do, I, I don't know what the answer is, but they need to do something. I mean, they need to have some kind of answer to this. And and the answer can't just be Alberto Salazar denying the charges, which he did, right? I mean, he came out publicly and denied these things and yada, yada. That can't be Nike's only stance on this. There needs to be like a, a complete and, and utter vocal stance on this. So. Their, their answer was shutting down the team. That was the response to the <laughs> the, this, the not freak, the doping that. stuff. That yeah. is what I believe. I saw a tweet the other day that said, so you mean the team that was giving their athletes uniforms with black skulls on it was the bad guys? <laughs> I got it. It's a good point. It's a good point. <laughs> All right. All right. Enough yeah, of that. that. I don't, don't want to talk about that anymore. I don't want any more negativity around this sport because at the end of the day, guys, this sport is pretty freaking awesome. Right. Thanks. This sport. I mean, I mean, this sport has done, you know, just so much for 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 me in my life and 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 so many people. It's given me it's given me uh, an identity. It's given me my closest friends. It's given me my wife. It's given me my career. It's brought me this podcast. This sport is awesome. And it really stinks that there's been so much negativity around it the, the last two months. And I'm hoping this is the end of it. I hope so, too. And we got we got fun stuff coming up. We're rolling into regionals and D1 cross country. We got nationals right around the corner. You know, we're now starting the lead up. Everyone's getting ready, trying to go to Japan next year in Olympic trials. So I think there's some good stuff around the around the bend here for us boys to be talking about. Absolutely. And I hope positive uh, talk dominates those uh, all those events you're talking about. Thanks, Michael. Guys, this is a great episode. What do you got for people on the Bell Lap, Trent? Whoa. Whoa! Whoa! Oh, what do you I got for people on the Bell Lap? Uh, for some tra- reason, for some reason on my screen, Mike is usually on the right and Trent's on the left, but today I I just kind of go right to left. So, let's start that over. Mike, what do you got for people on the Bell Lap? All right, so Trent just mentioned it. This week we've got XC regionals and XC regionals is kind of like an interesting uh monster because like we hyped up the conference meets and I wanna hype up hype up the uh nationals, but regionals is like so the teams that know that they're gonna qualify and they're kinda stacked tend to sometimes hold back in regionals a little bit. You know, they kinda I don't want to say tempo through it, but maybe not necessarily give their hundred percent effort. Um but then you have that second tier of teams that are duking out for the national spots, right? Trying to get that auto-qualifier, trying to get the individual qualifiers. So it's such like a a two-headed monster for the different teams. So it will be an awesome weekend of cross-country. And again, you'll get to kind of see how things play out. And then after regionals weekend, it's like full-fledged nationals. It is, you know, the... It's what we've been waiting for. It's, I am so fired up for XC Nationals. I'm already planning, uh, you know, another little P2E game that we can put out to the listeners and get more people involved in that. So I think regionals um, is a different kind of animal than conferences or nationals. But I am excited. I am looking forward to it setting up an awesome national championship. So let's go fired up for that. Trent, what do you got for people in the bell lap? We're recording this a day after Veterans Day, so I just want to say happy Veterans Day to all the active military, to all the people that served. Big shout out to, to Grandpa and Grandpa, to Uncle Doug. Uh, big shout out to my, my buddy Trent, who this weekend gave me a, a tour of the uh, plane that he flies as an Air Force pilot. Got to go in there and sit in the cockpit. It was super cool with a couple of the boys from New Hampshire. Um, and then, of course, a big shout out to all the, the podcast uh, hosts that also, you know, serve in military. Both of what you do is very important. And, and uh, I, I thank you for finding time for, for both of those things. <laughs> Context close. Um, I was at I was actually at West Point this uh, th- this past weekend with uh, with with a friend of the program, uh, future future uh, guest on the program, John McSwiggin. So that was a lot of fun. But that's not my bell lap point. I want to say Mike. Uh, jinxed the Patriots last week and he's mm-hmm. the reason yep. that they're not going undefeated. Wasn't so, great. N- nice job, Mike. Wasn't Way great. to blow it. Guys, I would have run faster, but I peaked too early. Mike, hit me with the Josie. you love yourself this this was in my fridge it's uh it was i saw a night shift so i saw because i've been away and it looked like oh aaron's friends must have brought over some night shift beer i got all excited to drink it i cracked it open it's a hard seltzer since oh, what is no. night shift doing hard seltzer they're all doing it now dude yeah. ever since like uh white claw took off i feel like every brewery now has their own seltzer as well i what, mean it was such like a jarring thing like i was expecting to taste beer and it was a seltzer it was weird well, can we talk about the fact that, um, I mean, White Claws are clearly like the one getting all of the hype now, but, I mean, Trulies were definitely the original hard seltzer. And Trulies are way better. Agreed. They all taste exactly the same. Well, that's... No, cool. no. The the Trulies are a little bit more refreshing. The White Claws are a little too sweet. Yeah, they're a little <laughs> more sugary. I'm proud of the fact that I haven't had enough seltzers to be able to tell the difference in the seltzer brands. Just not drinking it. All right, I'm ready.
0: As soon as you are able, woman, I am willing to take the break that we are on the brinker. My cup is on the table. I love a this- spirit.